2: You're listening to the Good Radio Network, radio that does a world of good. Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people.
1: stop. stop.
2: Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, good morning and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. Today we're going to go on another Mission Unstoppable, but first... I want to say, hi, welcome back. I haven't been on Mission Unstoppable for a couple of years, and I'm pretty excited to be back here, so lots of fun ahead. I'm going to explain to you what a Mission Unstoppable is, and I'm going to do that through a little story. A few weeks ago, I went to see a great new movie. It was called Everest. Maybe you've seen it. (laughs) I saw the movie Everest at Landmark Cinemas and IMAX, and you know how much I love movies because sometimes I go twice a weekend. And I thought after seeing this movie, two things. One, now that was a great movie. Excuse me. And two, why on earth would anyone climb that beast? Not once, but so many times. I mean, it's crazy. The area above 26,000 feet is called the death zone. And you're actually dying while you're there. Your body is killing itself. It's crazy. And for some reason, you know, uh, these people go there. And they have to go with fresh oxygen and their canisters uh, because they're actually at the altitude where a 747 cruises. Okay, craziness, really. So in this movie, Rob Hall, he's a climber, and he was the first guy to popularize um, guided Everest climbs. So his company, Adventure Consultants, took people up to the peak. And sometimes they had to go up a few times before they actually made it. And knowing that this is one of the most dangerous places on Earth, You know, why do people do this? So, you know, today there's about 216 frozen bodies lying up there and they'll be there for eternity. They're dead, obviously. Um, But these are all the people who had in in their psyche this Mission Unstoppable. They were going to do it no matter what. So that's the first clue about what a Mission Unstoppable is. It's a mindset that, you know, few individuals have. You might think Olympic athlete. But it doesn't mean that everybody can't do this everybody has the ability to go on their own mission unstoppable and when I first started the show back in 2007 one of my first guests was also a mountain climber and he climbed the seven highest peaks of seven islands in the world his name was Nigel Vardy and he ended up having all of his fingers all of his toes and his nose amputated because of frostbite He was stuck up on Mount McKinley in Alaska in May of 1999, and he had the uh, helicopter rescue from over 19,000 feet, which was at the time uh, stated as the highest in North American history for recovery. And months after he came back, um, he went back to climbing. Now, like I said, not every mission unstoppable has to be dangerous, though many of us go on it daily you know we're so determined to make our dreams and goals and desires come true that nothing is going to stop us and i know nothing is going to stop you either and today i can't think of a more difficult mission than recovering from drug addiction you know sometimes you have to give up something to get something even better and for me i would say that giving up drugs And gaining freedom would mean everything to me because freedom is my number one value. And it carries through everything that I do in life. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur because I like to work for myself. In my relationship, my husband and I um, both share the same value of freedom. I don't tell you what to do and you don't tell me what to do. Um, And I like being free of vices. I gave up smoking and drinking. Um, It's just something about me. But I believe it's important to know what your value uh, or what you value and what your values are. And so today, if you go to the goodradionetwork.com website under, and go to a blog, um, I have posted a list of values so that you can kind of figure that out for yourself. So there's a chart there and um, you would start with your top 10 and then you could narrow that down to your top five values. And once you know them, you can live your life in alignment with them. So can you imagine cutting the tether from that which keeps you a slave? I mean, making changes is difficult, very difficult, especially ones that are habitual. And addiction is even more so. And if you're someone who has tried time and time again to change their life, uh, recover from any addiction, really, be it drugs or sex, food, gambling, you know how painful it can be. Uh, And today I'm going to speak to a gentleman who is going to tell us about the most fun way you'll ever have to go through recovery from drug addiction. Really, you say? Fun? Well, yeah, I think so. So stay tuned and stay close because you're not going to want to miss this. My guest today is Ryan Brannon, and he's an entrepreneur behind an amazing technological breakthrough that is truly revolutionary for the recovery community. And he says, especially for younger people. My New Leaf is the name of his company. It's a 501 C3 nonprofit corporation, and it's comprised of eight students from Indiana University of Penn, Penn State University, and Carnegie Mellon. And these eight have combined their skills and their degrees in information sciences, information assurance, gaming, sound engineering, communications media, graphic arts, journalism, and business management to bring this vision to life. And believe it or not, Ryan Brandon graduated just as past May, magna cum laude from Indiana University of Pennsylvania, with a major in management uh, information systems and a minor in information assurance. Now, after switching tracks in college from pharmacy to MIS, Ryan conceptualized this novel way to help people seeking recovery through the use of internet enabled tools. And he is known among his peers as an ambitious dreamer, you have to be, a connector, a motivator, and he is self described privacy activist. And we're going to talk to him about just what that means. And his passions revolve around software development, cybersecurity, and social entrepreneurship. And his father tells me that he's a really great guy, <laughs> but that's not all. So let's welcome Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Frankie. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: You know, you really got on your own mission, on unstoppable, to create this app. I mean, tell us right from inception to where you are now. How what, what's been going on? How how did you come up with this, and why?
0: Well, after after my shift from pharmacy school to the more computer sciencey kinds of things. I had witnessed along that pharmacy track a lot of friends um, start to use and then subsequently abuse pr- uh, prescription pain medications, and then ultimately become full-blown heroin addicts. And so much so that by the time I left that program, I was leaving behind a lot of friends who are now heroin addicts, wow. and I, I felt like I left them behind. I felt like like Did they I was... actually
2: get the drugs there at school, or like how did they how did they become heroin addicts?
0: They were working as pharmacy technicians, and so several of them would steal pills regularly, take a couple from wow. every kind of opiate, every kind of benzo, and there's a lot of kinds out there. So they would have a, a full grab bag every week and distribute them at first, but then as it progressed, they just held on to them for themselves because they're so expensive, and um, then they slowly just descended into heroin as it's pretty much one-fourth the cost um, to uh, To acquire, so these were people in my pharmacy program that were doing these things coming from middle class homes you know good upbringings not not the stereotypical cliche you know uh, junkie that you might picture when you think of a drug addict
2: I have to ask you this I have to ask you this just for a second would now when you go into the pharmacy program, is there some kind of a screening process because they know this is going to happen, right they must.
0: Um, I I did not have to do any sort of screening. Um, maybe on an individual employer basis, there may be some sort of test, but um, I never worked as a pharmacy technician myself, so I'm okay. I'm unaware of anything like that.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: But basically, I had always been uh, a guiding light for them. I had I had my own history of using some uh, illegal drugs and experimenting. The first The first year, but I I stopped when I realized how how quickly it was progressing and how much more they were using, and I then became more of their um, helper in crisis situations than anything. I would come to their aid or um, in any sort of situation where they needed help, and when I left, I felt like I had left them behind and left them high and dry, and when I looked out there... At at the market, at what was what was out there for people using this kinds of technology, I I saw that there was really nothing substantial. There were some things that provided you some information, and sure, that's that's all well and good. They they provided you some maybe mindfulness techniques. That's that's nice to have, but nothing that would really be utilized on a long term basis that would actually promote. Substantial behavioral change. Um, they were just like throwaway apps that you could mm-hmm. use a couple times and then you would be done with them. They were so thin there was nothing that you could chew on, and so that was my mission. I I, I first came up with the idea that I wanted to create a, a an app that not only provides you with help as to when to seek outside treatment because addiction is so abstract. You never mm-hmm. really know when you're crossing that next threshold or when it's starting to become a problem. So I wanted to help quantify that and help put metrics in place so that you know when when is when it's time, but also where to turn because there are just so many different paths to recovery. And right. everyone recovers in their own way. And I wanted to offer the multiplicity of different ways that they can seek help um and, and just keep trying other methods because they just have to find one that works.
2: Right. And so depending upon personality, you would um just like in learning something, you would recover in a in a in a different way from somebody else. Not all Absolutely. programs are, are one. It's it's like a discovery program. Right.
0: And they right. they just have to uh find what elements suit their uh, suit their beliefs and suit their motivations to actually bring about that positive behavioral change. Right. Um, but but what really got me going on this was uh, as soon as I transferred, almost I'd say months into uh, the computer science uh, realm, they they had a Shark Tank competition at my local university at Indiana University, Pennsylvania. And that is where I was like, okay, I really need to try to put put this vague, abstract idea of this app into something concrete that I can pitch. And I had about a week to do so, so I was really scrambling to make it something cohesive and that made sense and that that drew on some um, good principles. And I did, and I, I did the pitch, and uh, not only did I win the first place, Prize from the judges, but I also won the audience choice award.
2: Um, oh wow! And you won ten thousand dollars, I think, didn't you?
0: Yeah. That, how much that did was you win? What, was it ten? Well, for the Shark Tank competition, that was a- around a thousand dollars. But I also got oh, okay. six months in an incubator, and that's when I really started to pull together a team. And um, and they were friends at that point. They were all just friends from various functional departments that were all, mm-hmm. all extremely talented at what they at what they did. And so we started working on this and hashing out the design and uh figuring out what what really needs to be in there. And we worked for about six six or eight months just uh on the design phase and we um were just doing it all for Forgotten Country. We had no money, no sure. nothing to keep us going. And that's when we won a PASHI business plan competition. And that's all across the state of Pennsylvania. All of the state schools can compete. Wow. In this. So there are probably uh, a few hundred uh, applicants. And um, that is what awarded us the $10,000. And that was so crucial in becoming the the cornerstone for being able to actually pay the people that have been putting in all of this effort and all of this time. And not only that, they were graduating now at that point, so i've I'm having team members that are now graduated and need money to put, put food on the table so right. it, it really helped keep the team afloat and um
2: and are they gonna, and, are they sticking around? are they gonna oh, stick yes. around we, or do they need to stay like
0: do you need all are, eight
2: still
0: oh definitely they're okay. um now at various points they all uh work more or work less depending on how, sure. how much they're needed. But um, they're all so committed to the project and passionate about um, about what we're doing, and, and that's part of the reason I, I chose these people is because they had these these ties to to this area and a desire to bring about change. Um, so, can I ask you why did
2: you? No, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Uh, oh, I was just because they were seeing it too. These these are people that have lost friends and loved ones sure. and family. To it so they all have an intricate tie to drug addiction and and want to see things change
2: now you um, obviously you and your friends have a um, a good sensibility you know in about social social consciousness and, and, and social impact of an organization and can you tell me why you chose a nonprofit versus a B company? That's
0: a really good question we We kicked that around for a, a long time like months whether to go non profit or not mm-hmm. um and there are pros and cons to both obviously non profits make it significantly harder to get investors and um and and because you can't have investors uh hmm. but it does open the door to things like grants and uh you know state and federal money for these okay. kinds of projects uh but ultimately it it just felt wrong being a uh, a for-profit company making money on others misery and hardship and I, I since this is going to be a free service i i really it it felt ethically right to to just go the non-profit route
2: okay good for you that's awesome <laughs> You know, people, people talk about our the future of this world and, and I have to say that when I meet young people like you, Ryan, and, and your friends, um, I have no doubt that we're all in good hands. You know, we leave this world, you know, to better stewards I think than than we were.
0: Well it's it's just definitely a problem that needs addressing. It's only getting worse, I think, especially in the young people age cohort it's it's like quadrupled in the past i don't know 4 or 5 years so it it's it's really something where we need to put more efforts to curb this epidemic because so it, is it all
2: opiates so that it, is a big problem is that the drug of choice or
0: i would mainly uh say that yeah in in our area especially the northeast united states um also known as like the appalachian states have okay. the most profound heroin epidemic and prescription painkillers um, in, in the whole of the United States. And we're seeing overdose deaths skyrocket, um, whether it be from accidental overdoses or heroin that's laced with fentanyl. It, it's just getting worse and worse every year. And Now, are these street I, I,
2: drugs or are these coming from a doctor? Like, what's going on? How come it's so high?
0: well from from what i hear when i speak to people in recovery and people who are addicts themselves it often just starts out with being prescribed a uh an opiate whether it's mm-hmm. hydrocodone or Percocet or or even stronger stuff if if you're in severe pain like oxycodone mm-hmm. um but but then it gradually becomes uh, morphs into the heroin addiction that takes over but the real overdose deaths come in um at Generally, the heroin level, which are the you know the street, the street drugs, street drug. and and that's when it's most of the time cut with other legal substances like fentanyl, which is trying right. uh, to, to help wean you off, but it's also a really common cut for heroin.
2: Wow, that's and pretty actually, scary. Actually,
0: I, I just had a another friend pass away to an overdose. Um, a few days ago. So it's it's very fresh in my mind. But it, well, as tragic as it is, it really only serves to harden and further my resolve to get this app out there and to, to try to help others before even more deaths happen.
2: Well, you know, I can certainly see that... Um young people everybody today you know they are tethered to their cell phones they're tethered to their their devices and so having an app is you know probably brilliant and and after speaking to groups of people about you know what's going to be coming down the pipeline to them how um what is what is the kind of reception that you're getting from from people in recovery well i
0: i went around for about a year um Giving, uh, asking for feedback and showing them my design and talking with not only people in recovery and addicts, but also doctors, thought leaders, experts, psychiatrists, um, about what needs to be included. And the feedback I've gotten was always resoundingly positive. Um, They were always like, why can't we have this now? I wish I would have had this. Like after I leave the doors of of rehab because I just feel like I'm left on my own again Mm -hmm. with nothing to turn to. And um, I'm, you're just presenting it in such a way that will make it make it fun and make it engaging. And all the while, it, it keeps it personal because your digital identity is something that you manage and it's yours alone. So it gives you that sense of privacy and it, it allows for you to communicate truthfully without feeling judged or without feeling any shame in what you're saying.
2: And this is where this um, advocacy for privacy comes in? Absolutely. No, <laughs> yeah.
1: I've
0: I've been like I said, I, I've been pushing for better digital privacy rights mm-hmm. since before this project even started. Um because we've we've witnessed a gradual degradation of our online privacy. And mm-hmm. it it doesn't happen in leaps and bounds, it just is is small incremental steps. But it's it's building towards something that's uh more nefarious in nature. And so one of the things I did was go to a uh, prestigious software developers conference in the UK uh, that was specifically about trying to find new ways to uh, to monetize apps and to create a, the next generation of apps that don't sustain themselves by selling the data of their clients, um, a business practice that's known as corporate surveillance. And pretty much all of the major tech companies do it apple does it google does it microsoft oh. oracle you know they they all do it they they're selling data not only to other companies but and advertisers but they're selling it to governments they're selling it to law enforcement it it, it there's just no wow. respect for the individuals data at that level and the the tenants of the the conference it was and ironically enough i signed the declaration of software independence in the U.K. on July 4th. So, um,
2: Oh, wow. That's great. The, the
0: declaration just promised that the next generation of tools would not only uh, let the data uh, be in the hands of the user. It, it, it means three things. It, that users would be able to control what they post. So people can't speak on your behalf, which seems mm-hmm. obvious enough. Users would control how long it lasts. So it's not being stored indefinitely on some server farm out out anywhere. They can control how long it lasts. Um and lastly, who can see it so that right. like I said, it's not being sold off to people who whom you've never met before, who you don't want to see that data. And if you can adhere to those those three things, then you have a much more private, secure kind of app that doesn't infringe on the privacy and doesn't capitalize on the privacy of of your users.
2: Yeah, and if you think that this isn't true, um, (laughs) you know, the the phone company used to do that. You know, back in the day when everybody had a home phone, uh, Bell Telephone, I signed up Bell Telephone in my dog's name, and my dog was receiving credit card applications, she was, you know, she, yeah, she had like a $30,000 limit.
0: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And
2: they swear that they didn't do it, right? Yeah, Phone okay. providers
0: are notoriously bad for that as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, well, it looks but, like uh, Dr. Kuniak's with us. How about I just see if that's him? Sorry. Hi, is this Dr. Kuniak? Yes. Hi. Hi, Hi. how are you? Welcome. Good. How are you? Good. My name's Frankie. Um, and you're calling into Mission Unstoppable Radio, and you know that you're here with Ryan from My New Leaf. Uh, Dr. Kuniak, Hi, you are a, a practicing clinical psychologist. Is that correct?
1: It, it, technically, clinical counselor. Um, okay. It's, it's a, uh, just sort of a nuance of the degrees, um, but the fundamental theories are the same, if that makes sense. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, and And... I think what makes you interesting is that you're, you did your undergrad research in geek culture and the effect of exposure to fantasy heroes on resiliency. That's very interesting.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, I've been—I've been—I tell people when I meet them, um, I've been a geek since I was you know, three years old. So, um, and I think I grew up okay. So I, I think it's <laughs> kind of interesting that. What's um, your
2: definition of geek? Give us your definition Uh, of
1: geek. Yeah, so a geek I think is someone who is um, particularly passionate about um, some area of interest in their life, and specifically for me, uh, being a geek means that that passion um, sort of surrounds things like comic books, fantasy, science fiction, um, video gaming. I include video gaming as a part of being a geek, but there are people who would separate that, um, you know, folks who are just identifying themselves as gamers, or are identifying themselves as neither, but like both of these avenues. But for me, it's it's all kind of under the same umbrella, um, for myself at least.
2: Ryan, you're in information technologies. Do you have um, a an action figure of somebody from Star Wars sitting anywhere near your desk?
0: Oh, of course I do. I still have all of my <laughs> figurines. From back when I collected them, and truth be told, I still play with them.
2: You know what? When I was, I, I used to work for the government, and and every IT guy I knew had had a Star Trek figure. <laughs> near <his> deaf. <desk.
1: laughs> it's it's not uncommon at all. I certainly have them all in yeah, my uh, my counseling office.
2: <laughs> so you two came together. How there's a marriage here somehow? How did it happen?
1: Yeah. Do you want to go ahead, Ryan?
0: And, uh, uh, I mean, y you can take it away. You met my uh, father before you actually met me.
1: Yeah, I am um, so I had founded um my own nonprofit um five oh one C three charitable organization and um the goal was to um do uh, to to provide opportunities to try to gather funding and and things of that sort to kind of further this research agenda that I have. And um so I was I, I do these events a couple times a year with uh, two of my colleagues who are also part of my organization, um, and uh, we do basically little mini sort of Comic Con, gaming cons in uh, the, mm-hmm. the local area out here in, you know, out, out towards Pittsburgh. And um, so I've been trying to figure out new ways to advertise these events because uh, event organization is not my forte. You know, I... I do the mental health thing, so uh party mm-hmm. planning is not something I do a lot of <laughs> yeah. but um yeah, but so uh, you know, and trying to figure it out and trying to make these events be both geek and gaming oriented but then also um tie it into you know my belief that there are healthy aspects to this to this culture, in fact that um really there can be a you know this strong fostering of resiliency in these social groups that organize around this. I started to reach out to some of my mental health colleagues, and actually there's a gentleman named uh, Tim Phillips who knew um, and knows Ryan's father. And so when mm-hmm. I had sent my information out to Tim, I got this email from Ryan's dad Ray saying, "Hey, Tim mentioned this stuff that you're, you're involved with. I really want to talk to you." And so um, you know, I talked to Ray for a little bit, and Ray connected me with Ryan's organization here, and, and uh, certainly his. Really remarkable app that they're working on, um, which is you know designed around gaming uh, in many ways. So, uh,
2: right. so that's so, how we kind so, of
1: got to know each other.
2: Okay, so you're in uh, because of gamification, you're, and you're in because of your your background in psychology and, and addiction. Is that that's fair right. to say, or is yeah. it okay? Yeah.
1: Yes, that's that's the roundabout way for how we got connected, and then certainly it just it just seemed to click. It's it's interesting that we had never really met before, um, given these parallel sort of processes that we were working through.
2: Yeah, interesting. But you know, the world works in mysterious ways, and so does so does uh, Ray Brandon. That's the (laughs) thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So so give us. Oh, man, I've got so many places I want to go. But I do want to talk about the, the gamification because that's that's a word that is new, I think, kind of. A lot of mm-hmm. people may not know what it is anyway. Um, so let's talk about that. And then I want to go back to the neuroplasticity of the brain.
0: Sure. sure. All right. Well, I'll I'll pick up on gamification because it's something I love to talk about. Uh, it's, it's really just come around in the past five years. It's never really been uttered before. So it's definitely a hot new word um it it basically means uh taking video game like elements and putting it into something that's not itself a video game okay and and so you're not playing a game when you're playing the app it it still has a lot of tools information and resources for you to utilize but it has these video game like elements and these are things like badges and leveling up and points and achievements and rewards, all of the things that make video games fun. Okay.
1: Um,
0: I believe someone once said, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and uh someone once said video games are just like opening up boxes. You're constantly just opening up one box after another hoping for something to get be- something good to be in it. And that's what makes them so fun. There's that element of randomness and uncertainty. And that's what keeps people engaged and coming back on a daily basis. And that's where I really think that uh, gamification can play a huge role in behavioral modification, just because of um, the longitudinal effect that it'll have on you if, if with consistent use. Um, and that's why things like MyFitnessPal uh, worked for so many people. It, it's it's not because the tools were inherently better than their competitors. It's it's that they made it more fun, more more mm-hmm. easy to get involved, and they and ultimately more engaging, so that you would keep coming back to it and keep using it. It gave you that motivation and incentive uh, to keep to keep trying and keep um, on your efforts. And all of those things that I would mentioned about the video game elements will be in the app. You'll have, you'll have an avatar that starts as a seed, and that as you gain points, it'll be leveling up into a sprout and ultimately into a tree that you can decorate with, uh, with custom icons and so that your avatar is customizable. Um, because our digital identities, like I said, are very important to us. They've mm-hmm. become a vital extension of ourselves. Not only that, they're easier to manage than our interpersonal identity. These are these are things that we craft, that we put a lot of thought and effort into how we want it to look. People don't just post Facebook statuses that they're not proud of. You 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 post things that you are proud of, and mm-hmm. um, so, so you're constantly crafting this identity in a manner that's that's so much. Uh, more easy and more accessible than uh an interpersonal kind of communication
2: so, so the the I just wanted to let, let me go back to the little leaf bud seed idea um mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show we talked about the different personalities and the way that each you know we're all individual and would respond in a new and different way, so would these seedlings be um i I would pick the one I want based upon what avatar are like, or is it based on personality? Is there some kind of, you know, do I have to do a little questionnaire and they'll say, oh, you're a, an oak or something?
0: That's a, you're you're kind of on the right track. When they would pick okay. a seed, we have about twelve of them to choose from. It's going to have the seed on a little card, and it'll it'll give you a little profile of of what that if if you choose this what that reflects of your personality. So okay. maybe if you're Picking the Japanese maple tree, you have an exotic, maybe uh, in, in, independent, and uh, uh, kind of traits. Whereas if you pick a palm tree, you're clearly more laid back, subdued. And Can you get um, to read
2: through all of them first?
0: Yes, and then, okay. then pick the one that you pick. <laughs> Again, this you is just You don't just click enhancing. and they go, You are this. It, it just enhances the bond that you feel with right. that avatar, um, and 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 creates that uh, the just the interconnection that keeps you um,
2: keeps you motivated
0: to to better that avatar.
2: Um, here's a question, uh, Steve. As a as an recovering addict, and I pick up this app, and I'm like, man, I'm so depressed because like you know, I I know I got to get off this stuff. It's killing me. It's killing my family. Everything is, but you know, I'm so flippin' depressed. Um, I, can I see myself as an exotic, anything? Sure. So, I
1: mean, I, I think, okay. Oh, oh good. I'm sorry. Go ahead. see. It doesn't
2: matter. Whoever. Yeah. So, you know I mean, where I'm I, coming I think, from though.
1: Yeah. I, I think that um, even in, um, you know, a state of depression, People still have an, an ideal image of themselves. Um, you know, it, it may be hard to access, and it may be hard to personalize. And I think that's where where Ryan is right. That you know, even if um, so, like even when I create an avatar when I'm gaming or something like that, I try to make it resemble myself to some degree. But then I have a certain amount of um, liberty that I can take with adding things that I would prefer, maybe. So, Make
2: yourself slimmer
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, you can you can play around with that idea and I think there's something um in some ways healing about that. You know, we always have this real self and ideal self. And right. psychological theory would say that the difference between those two is where we get things like anxiety, you know, because the, the greater the dissonance between the real and the ideal, um, it creates it creates discomfort, and so, um, you know, if you want to change, you know, if you have this burning desire to change, I think that creating something like an avatar um, gives you an opportunity to explore what would I want to be, or how did I see myself? Mm-hmm. You know, what would I like to do? And so, I think reading through the tree examples makes sense. For okay, you know, I'm I'm not in a I'm not a Japanese maple right now, but I'd like to be. You know, I used mm-hmm. to be. I remember it was and i think that creates an amount of incentive to say this is the self that i'd like to be so how do i get there then and there's a first in the process that comes in that's that's the one beautiful thing about gamification and i you know again ryan was dead on with his examples there i i do um i do some teaching i'm you know a part-time professor and certainly i'm always looking to get into um uh, higher ed much more closely but uh gamification is finding its way in the classroom all the time. And part of the reason is because when you are engaging something that is like a game or is a game for that matter, but something that works off of the framework of a game, it requires that you be an active participant and mm-hmm. you're willingly. Participating. And wouldn't that be wonderful in every classroom in America, if every student came in and basically pressed start to play, you know, <laughs> that they were actually saying, I want to play. I want to be a part mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. So... In- Avatar, you're doing that. You're volunteering yourself to, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And it's, it's a step in investment.
2: I'm interested, though, in gaming on its own, just for one second, because you, you raised a question. My background is in hypnotherapy. So sure. as I choose my avatar, um, and and this is maybe you know my fantasy self, who I'd really like to be, and maybe I want to stay there longer because my real self I don't like. So I'm just going to stick with my with my fantasy self for days on end. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, you know, our subconscious, you know, all all the stuff that's in our subconscious that says, you know, you're not good enough, and you're not smart enough, and you're not any of this stuff. Um, how does that play into into gaming? Yeah,
1: so. Um... That's a really great question, and I think it's kind of multifaceted. So I'm thinking about how I want to, uh, direct through that. Yeah. Um. So like, that's the part that I think a lot of people are concerned with with regard to gaming. It's the, do you check in and then never check back out? Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and, and certainly there's, um, there's a lot of desire for that. I think that's where there are writers out there, there are researchers out there, like Jane McGonigal, for example. I don't know if you've ever Come across her book, um, "Reality is Broken." Um, no, talks about how people are moving in droves into virtual worlds, and then it becomes our responsibility as kind of the folks who are the professionals looking at this to help them take what it is they're learning in those virtual worlds and turn it into real life successes. And so mm-hmm. that's where I think um, you know, in talking to Ryan and Ray about where they're going with some of this stuff, I like the idea that there are. These virtual rewards in the app, and then additionally, I like the idea that they have some real physical rewards, like workbooks and things like that that will in the real world.
2: So you bring up you tether them to the real world, right?
1: Yeah, and I I think that's what happens with certain games and things like that too. Like, I don't know if I don't know what you play or if you play, but like, I'm a big Xbox gamer, and so and Ryan can attest to this because I talk about it every time we meet up. (laughs) Hey, listen. my favorite game of all time halo is coming out with a new rendition of itself here in just a few weeks and you can buy the regular game but if you upgrade you can get physical components to that game like books or you know figures or things like that and again i think that's where game design where game developers are saying you know there is this desire to attach real world components to in game um content that there he is right. that back and forth. And so I think there's a lot of
2: Is there a personality type that likes games other than being a geek? Like is there like I don't play games. I mean I don't yeah. play I mean I might play poker, but I don't I don't play I don't know if you know, like Nintendo or Mario or any of that. Like my kids love it. But I it just doesn't interest me. So is there a personality type? I mean I like rewards. I you know, I do that thing. But well,
1: um my um My doctoral research was actually on sort of identifying gamer personality types. Okay. And um, I didn't specifically look at gamer versus non-gamer personality types, but I know that there are – my thinking of it is it has to do with, I think, individuals who are comfortable um, around that, that medium. So like you said, there are certain things that you like that you can see that your kids also like, but in the game world, you know, I think it's I think it's a very similar sort of thing where the generations that are popping up now, this is just a way of life. This is a thing right. that we do, and so they're finding these um, uh, aspects of their personality that maybe would have been picked up in other activities pre you know this revolution of video gaming. Um, now they're finding them in gaming. And I got so, one more question. And,
2: and I need to get these in. I'm sorry, I have to cut you off. Um, and then I really want to go back to Ryan to you know let's finish off the app and what it, everything that it's going to do. But this in oh man, what was it? I almost lost it. Did I lose it? Oh, it'll come back. Okay, it'll hopefully it'll come back because it was it was kind of important. But um, okay, so we've got we've got the gaming aspect. We've got um, real life rewards that are going to come from this. We've got written into this app stop me if I'm incorrect, there is um a way for people to find real help
0: in yeah. their area.
2: Yeah? And uh what else is what else is in it?
0: Alright, so I could I could boil down a lot of the app. There's gonna be a lot of different things they can do and, and tools they can use. But it boils down to a couple of things. One is the daily facets and that is just a behavioral monitoring tool that checks up on a a wide variety of different physical, mental, and emotional health states. And and they rate themselves on a daily basis. Um, And we we compare that data to their previous use, and we can see where they're falling behind or maybe getting ahead in in whatever facet they may be. So say they have been rating themselves poorly, for depression the past few days, and they don't have a history of that, then mm-hmm. we can specifically fine-tune the feedback to automatically push to them information regarding how to deal with depression. And um, and that goes for any of the other different behaviors or behavioral monitoring facets that we can just gear that that personalized feedback so that it's um, actually hitting on issues that that they're struggling with. So um, if it came back that
2: they were worried about that person, would it push out here's a phone number for a hospital or something?
0: Not quite. Uh, that's okay. That's a, a different function, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, okay, sorry. Another part of the daily facets is a daily journal, and mm-hmm. from that journal, we'll parse through what they're what they're talking about, and it could be anything. What they're going through, what uh, what their day's been like, any struggles they've had. Um, we'll parse through it to find keywords. And those keywords would relate to what their motivations are because one of the guiding ideolo- ideologies of this app is um, is that of motivational interviewing and motivational incentives. These are two newer age uh, psychotherapy tools that are used to, uh, to deal with addiction. And basically what those two therapies involve is just Getting to the bottom of what is motivating them to use drugs and what is motivating them to recover, be it okay. uh, financial, social, or biological motivations. And so from that journal, we'll parse through what they're saying to see what is really driving them for change. Um, for instance, so say someone enters into the journal. Uh, I, I, I went into work high today. My boss knew it, and he said he would fire me if, if I came in high again, and I, I know I won't be able to find another job, and I won't be able to pay the bills, and I'm starting to get anxious about that. Um, then clearly they have a lot of financial uh, motivations at play. They're not really worried worrying about what it's doing to their health. They're not really worrying what it's doing to their uh, right. intimate social circles. So then we fine-tune that motivation feedback to to touch on that um because obviously if we don't if if we're giving them information about the biology about it that they don't even care about it's not going to be having an impact but if we're touching on the the finances involved then that will have a much more profound impact on their motivations
2: how might you touch on that finance what would that look like
0: um well it it, could be in the form of a cost calculator to see how much, uh, may say maybe you're using in a day, how much you'd save if you cut back or if you went okay. abstinent, um, and and this just reinforces that that motivation that they have. Oh yeah, I do need to to restrict my money usage. So this this really could work even if I just cut back on what I'm doing, I'd save that much money.
2: Mm. Um, That's really clever, Good for you.
0: Uh, and the other major component of this app is uh, the panic button, and the panic button is going to be a big red button at the bottom of every screen. It's always accessible, uh, and it's just to be used in crisis situations. So mm-hmm. whether, they're, whether they're depressed or suicidal or they're about to use or maybe even someone just overdosed right beside them, uh, this mm-hmm. this offers a whole bunch of different features for them to reach out in that moment. Uh, I'm just going to quickly go through some of some of the features that we'll offer in the panic button. One would be a geolocated uh, hotline uh, for the more dire situations. If they're suicidal or if an overdose occurred, then, then they can get directly in touch with a hotline who will accommodate them with the uh, most appropriate resource. Um, but they can also do a quick journal, which they can write what they're going through. We'll give them the best piece of feedback that we have to help them combat that issue. There's a uh, there's motivational scripts, which are uh, both motivational tips and pre-written by doctors and um, just something for them to grab onto and draw strength from in that moment just as a source of inspiration or a kick in the pants or whatever it may be that they need. It it, it would just be something for them to hold on to. Uh, Another thing is we're calling it the recovery circle. Mm -hmm. And this is where you can assign people from your contacts to be in your recovery circle. You can have up to five. And then when you tap on it, it will show you the five different avatars for the different people. And you can tap on one of their avatars. And then it will pop up with two options call me, I need a distraction, or come pick me up. And if you do either, if you press either of those, it will automatically send that text message to that person. Um, For the come pick me up, it will also attach a GPS location. The purpose Mm -hmm. of this is that you can be discreet, so that if you're in a social situation and you know that it's, it's heading down a bad road, that you can, within two or three taps, have someone on their way exactly where you are, even if you're in the middle of an alley. So um, it's, it's that kind of instant, discreet communication with, with people that you know and trust. Um, call it your sponsor, mentor, whatever it may be. These are the people that you trust intimately, even, even in those dire situations. And lastly, perhaps most interestingly, um, there's a, a function called the, inner, uh, the, the beautiful web and the idea behind it is i i have been compiling a uh, a list of beautiful mobile and web experiences uh that are that serve as motivation, inspiration or just pure engagement. These are things that i'm hoping to be a a distraction. Um the normal drug craving persists normally for about 15 minutes in its intensity and then starts to subside. So if we can distract them long enough for that 15 minutes, then afterwards rational thought will take back over. So in, included will just be fun little mini-games, uh, fun surveys that, uh, and inspiring talks, uh, motivating videos, and um, all sorts of things that hopefully can bring them out of that moment long enough for... Um, for that rational thought to take back over. Um, And you spoke to us, including all of the different uh, rehabs, counselors, and uh, Mm -hmm. self-help groups in the area. And how that's going to be represented is actually how we monetize it. It's, It's going to be advertisements throughout the app. Um, on a regular basis, but they're just not going to be any random ads they're going to be localized ads for the services available in your area and um, that could be anything from an n a group to uh, a uh, an addiction counselor to a rehab facility so these have they have these tools at their thumbs if if they uh have learned that they've crossed that threshold and uh need to reach out for outside treatment. Um right. then then they have all of those different ones to look into and um and tap into if if need be.
2: That's fantastic. Reminds me a little bit of of um my my guest last week was Fabric and she had, you know, a running app like that kind of where there's a panic button and it tells you where uh it's great. It's great. I mean all of that is great. Are you going to vet any of these? Um, facilities for
0: people. Uh, excuse me. Say again.
2: Are you going to vet any, even though they're paying money? Would you would you be interested in, in vetting them to make sure that they're good or know what they're talking about, have um, good yeah, recommendations?
0: That, that would probably be down the line. Right now, we're really just trying to secure the, some right. agencies and some rehabs just uh, to be our alpha market and to be our alpha. Test advertisers so we can actually hammer out the details of the advertising system. Um, but ideally, yeah, there. I would like to have some safeguards in place so that we're we're not just sending them to to terribly ineffective places. And um, yeah.
2: So th- this idea, um, I think I read somewhere in one of your literature that that in young people using this kind of application expands their their brain is that did i read yeah. that correctly
0: we we're really uh tapping into the research of neuroplasticity which is mm-hmm. still in its infancy and the applications of which are still in its infa- infancy people always just immediately think of lumosity and then kind mm-hmm. of discredit it as uh ah, that's just a bunch of bull but it it, it has really true and profound effects and And not only that it's it 's having more so more profound effects on younger generations uh, mm-hmm. i I recently saw a study that our uh the millennials brains are about fifty percent more neuroplastic than uh previous generations and i I believe it 's just because we have spent our entire life with devices we know that technology is is helping us so we allow it to change our thought patterns and we allow it to change our behaviors um more freely and so it's it's opened up our brain to to the malleability that that technology can then shape um and and that's again where where gamification comes into play this this is something that um really the Piggybacks on neuroplasticity because um, it in itself is is a model of neuroplasticity. We uh, we love games and the engagement, and so we're bringing it into other things just because of how it rewards our brains, how it lights up those um, mm-hmm. those those centers for rewards, and um, ultimately it makes things more successful.
2: You know, I think I think Ryan and and Steve. I think uh, two things. One is that Um, people at my age, like after 50s, um, you know, I remember when they first came out and computers first came out and young people, they have no fear, you know, but, but Mm -hmm. we, we were always like, Oh, you can't, don't do anything wrong. Don't, don't break it. Don't, you know, we have this fear that we're going to do it wrong. And, and so we're not relaxed players, let's say, you know, when you first start me, I'm a, I'm a techno geek myself. I mean, I'm a Gemini man. I have to have everything, you know, I've got three iPads going, away. <laughs> but, but, you know, all different kinds. But I know that there's a fear of, you know, am I going to do, am I going to break it if I touch this key? Am I going to do something wrong, right? And and that's the difference. It, children learning and adults learning in anything. Like, I, I like I think your dad. you're a drummer, right? Are you a drummer yeah. or one of your brothers? I'm a drummer, too. And when, you know, I remember first playing my kid, and, and you know, as I was older. I wasn't young when I learned. So it was always... Oh, I'm gonna do that wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to hit that because I might do it wrong. And I think that that's something that prevails from adults versus kids. They don't worry mm-hmm. about doing it wrong. They're just gonna do it. Let me get in there and mess it up, right?
0: And so and I think in addition to that, I think there's kind of been a, a cultural or a paradigm shift where we we promote the breaking, um, and as more people are becoming uh, just casual hackers where they know how things work and can take it apart and put it together and splice mm-hmm. pieces together. It, it's becoming a, a mainstream thing to be able to break things and right. want to explore how things work um, <laughs> half the time via breaking. So, but this um, is my
2: fear. Let me tell you my fear about millennial. And Steve, maybe you want to, to jump in on this too. Because, you know, my husband and I were out to dinner. We see a family of four. They've got um mom and dad and two kids, two year old and maybe uh eighteen month old sitting at a table. Mom and dad are each on their cell phone playing or reading or doing whatever, texting, and all through dinner, not one of them spoke to their kids. So we're 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 attached to to this device, right, that, that is actually um keeping us away from from real people. Because we're more interested in, in, in the fake people, <laughs> you know, or the online people.
1: Right, and I, I think your, your point's well taken there. Um, I think that's the, the catch that we have to put out there, because I'm totally for um, use of electronic devices and gaming, and I'm, you know, huge advocate for that. However, I think additionally, it's just like anything else. I think there needs to be a balance. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, especially with um, you know, younger kids, but when when I was growing up my parents would you know, they were they were totally okay with me gaming so long as I also did other things too. So I was a boy scout, you know, I'm an Eagle mm-hmm. Scout, so I had to do the outdoor activities. And when we went on family vacations, the game system could come, but we had to spend the day out and then the gaming was only useful or being on electronic devices was only allowed after we had done, you know, additional activities. And so so that's let's say your parents are today's
2: to, 20-somethings. Let's Today's 20-somethings are having kids, right? Yeah.
1: yeah are those exactly. kids,
2: you know, who's talking to them? That's just well, my so only fear. A,
1: oh, I agree. And that's a little bit of where my research agenda is, if my nonprofit is, is I'm trying to kind of do that. I'm trying to present some outreach efforts to get people talking about this stuff because I do think we need to have, um, you know, you meet people online in games and stuff like that. We should – Meet them in safe environments after we've sort of checked that out.
2: But too. they kind of feel more so like, real to, the, to people than the people who are really in their lives, right? Sometimes
1: it can be for sure. I definitely work with a couple of clients who are who are like that who don't really know the difference between a friend in real life and a friend online. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think that our biggest. Um, you know, the biggest uh support that we can have for this or the biggest help we can have is really education around it. You know, because we're dealing with uh technology that never existed before. Um, you know, we're really in I was talking to someone and I'm I'm a huge sci fi geek if that hasn't already been clear, but um, you know, my cell phone, my smartphone is more advanced than what Captain Kirk was using on you know, on the Enterprise. And so <laughs> okay. you know so we have stuff that is is just beyond what um, you know what what the uh, child psychologists and everything really yeah. considered when they were first sort of looking into this stuff.
2: I've got I'm sorry and I've so, got a minute and a half left here. So, Ryan, sure. tell us. I'm sorry, Steve, to cut you off there. No, no, I fine. shouldn't have asked that question. Maybe um, last words. Anything you want people to know? When when is this available?
0: We what? are shooting for an alpha launch, so if you're interested in trying it out, uh, totally free, just to be part of our alpha survey crew, um, by the end of the year, so soon after Christmas, we are hoping for it to be available on iOS, so that's for us. And iPhones. they can
2: reach you where?
0: Um, you can find us on Twitter, at my underscore new or on facebook.com slash my recovery.
2: Excellent, and you know what, Steve? We'll have to we'll have to get you back on too, and we'll talk. There's so much to talk about. But you know what's really unfair yeah, is oh. that vertebrates have this receptor for opiates. I mean, we every one of us has this receptor that that's like a perfect fit, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yep. eh, you know, we're it, and, and we have to break that, and that's that that hurts. <laughs> I'm sure it hurts a lot of <laughs> people. <laughs> Listen, my new leaf. Make sure you go to my new leaf and 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 check out. Um, this amazing application and Dr. Kuniak, do you have a website for the geeks who want to help you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you uh if you take a look at Geek and Gamer Counseling Alliance if you google us, we're um we're everywhere. You know, we have Facebook, Twitter, all that as well. So certainly you can google my name, Steve Kouniak, Kuniak, or Geek and Gamer Counseling Alliance and you will definitely find us.
2: Thank you so much, everyone who's tuned in today. I so appreciate you. And Ryan Brannon and, and Steve Kuniak, thank you again for being my guest today. And we will see you next week for another Mission Unstoppable. Take care, everybody. Have yourself a wonderful day or evening, wherever you are in the world. Bye now.